0: We're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle.
1: You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad.
2: I wouldn't choose to be alone. <laughs>
0: this is a journey... Love
3: tweeted science. Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, the
0: I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out color, against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day and now women just want half of the pizza and men are like, what? why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden?
1: There seems to be, seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists.
0: It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem. It's men's problem. Please, uh, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy ch- trying
2: to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of the car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realize until the picture was in the paper and someone printed this shit.
1: This sort of behavior, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. Okay. I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh my
3: god. Feminism is not about a female being powerful, it's about redressing a balance and it's about equality. And feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have. And if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you
2: need to look at yourself.
1: You're very welcome to episode two of Men Behaving Better with me, Charlotte Regan. Our next live episode will be recorded next week. That's Thursday, September 20th at the Other Palace Theatre in Victoria in London. Tickets are on sale now. Just go to the Other Palace Theatre website. We'll be joined by three superb guests. Deborah Francis-White, who you'll know as the creator of the Guilty Feminist podcast and writer of the Guilty Feminist book, which is out this week. I thoroughly recommend you go and buy it. Angela Scanlon is, of course, another powerhouse of a woman presenter based in London, and Finn Taylor, one of my favourite stand-up comics, will join me on the night. It's going to be an incredible laugh. Stand-up comedy, debate, uh, cage rattling, all you would expect from Men Behaving Better. This is a podcast, of course, a different kind of conversation uh, where we can talk about these things in a way that we haven't before. As a listener to this show, you get a discount. If you go to the Other Palace Theatre website, and enter the offer code Irishman, all caps, you will get a discount on your tickets for next Thursday's show. I urge you to come along. Well, this episode, what can I say? September 1st, recorded at the Electric Picnic Music Festival, I sat down with actor and writer Mark O'Halloran, journalist and broadcaster Nadine O'Regan, and news editor of journal.ie Sinead Carroll. to ask two Big questions. Have Irish men changed in the last 12 months? And where does forgiveness fit into Me Too and all of this movement that we've seen in the past year? It's a wide ranging chat covering everything from the rights and wrongs of WhatsApp behaviour among men and women, the high profile Belfast rape trial involving Patty Jackson and Stuart Olding. We also cover the Al Porter situation and Louis CK, given that in this very week that it was recorded, Louis returned to the stage. There's a lot to get through here and it is part of that bigger conversation. As I said, our aim here is to make this conversation different and one where men and women can speak openly about these tricky things in a way they haven't before. I want you to be part of the conversation. Why not contact me? at gmail.com is my email address. Reply to every email personally. I've had so many emails since episode one. Thank you all for getting in touch. Or come to the show, as I said, next uh, September 20th, this Thursday, at the Other Palace Theatre. We are taking up residency at the Other Palace Theatre through the autumn and winter. I'll have a bunch of episodes recorded there. Uh, Another one going on sale this week is December 6th. Upcoming guests include Richard Herring, Roshan Conaty, Sindhu V. Ramesh Ranganathan, Felicity Ward, Eleanor Tiernan, Carl Donnelly and many, many more. So that's that for now. But let's get to this one. It's episode two of Men Behaving Better, recorded live at Electric Picnic. Pump up the, volume, pump up the, volume. the two principal questions of today's podcast are, number one, do you feel that Irish men have changed at all in the last 12 months of Me Too, of Patty Jackson, of Repeal, of all of these major events in terms of uh, the gender plates shifting in the country,
3: do you recognize a change in Irish men that you connect with? It's hard to quantify what has changed or what has caused change, but there has certainly been a quantifiable seismic change in the country when you just look at the vote for the repeal thing. It was, it was an overwhelming vote. It was a male vote and it was a female vote. And I don't think that would have happened five years ago. So that is interesting that it has happened. Do you think that, though, saying that right at the start, I think there's an awful lot of
1: off-the-hook stuff that happens in this country yes. and I felt that way about the equality uh, of marriage referendum that oh sure Jesus I'm not homophobic I, I voted, voted for, for gay, marriage. gay
3: marriage yeah and there will be a bit to that you're still a bitch even though I voted for appeal that sort of thing you hmm. see on social media or blah, blah blah but there is still some sort of a shift I think that also the rape trial the Belfast rape trial where it did cause massive polarization and some men became very upset by it I do think there were a hell of a lot of men who were disgusted by it because they recognized the behavior or they recognized the pattern of the behavior or they recognized the righteousness of being allowed to, to, Hmm. to react like that and the most interesting thing about that the rape trial for me was The the, the turning point in all the stuff that was coming out about it, and it was horrible to listen to every day, but there was a taxi driver in it, and the taxi driver said, I knew what was going on immediately. He said, like, I've seen this before, happened before. Mm. The guy getting into the taxi, consoling the woman, he said that she had stains on her pants and she was crying. And I thought, probably we've all seen that uh, at the weekend, or we Mm. all accept that in some way. But actually, the taxi driver then made it his business to testify in court, which I thought was kind of interesting as well, that maybe we're getting tired of accepting that behaviour, mm. which is not to say that it's going to go away or anything like that, but maybe slowly yeah. an awareness will will make it unacceptable. I do want to get into the trial later, but the purpose of,
1: in case you're thinking that this is immediately a sexist part of this podcast, the fact that I bring Mark out before I bring our, our female guests out, is that I do want to start this Men Behaving Better podcast with the discussion between two men, because I feel like the onus on change is often put on women, that these are women's rights when it's in fact the men that are denying them those rights. So the behavior that needs to change is ours. And there's questions and discussions that men need to have between themselves. And one that I feel, the change that I recognize happening in the country, the Patty Jackson trial, was a change in how WhatsApp groups spoke to each other. Did you notice a change among what you would and
3: wouldn't see exchanged among men uh, in whatsapp groups since then well I don't I don't I don't think I have a whatsapp group that has only men in it okay. uh, I've got a family whatsapp group if anybody's <laughs> <Imagine> interested in that <laughs> dreadful bloody the filthiest group of all uh, it's just it's you, you're treading on eggshells with those kind of things <laughs> but I was talking to a fella on the bus from Port Leash to to Strat Valley today and we were t- I was telling him what I was doing and he said oh look I'm part of a male only bunch of lads friends whatsapp group and he said the shit that gets said in there is appalling at times and I said do you ever stand up to it and he said no and I said what sort of shit and he mentioned the rape trial for instance and he mentioned it becomes very laddie and very competitive very quickly. And I said to him, what would happen if in this WhatsApp group you, you were to post, I'm feeling desperately lonely and afraid for my own sanity on this WhatsApp group. And he said, you would be destroyed. Mm. Uh, so I don't think it's gone away. Yeah. Well, I do want to make the second question of this
1: discussion, where forgiveness fits. Because there are those that believe that men such as paddy Jackson as louis c k people that have done regrettable things things that, that were uh, that they 've been shown to have done uh, should be allowed serve time and then rejoin and gain work as paddy has, uh, and there are those that believe it doesn 't have a place in it what 's your pl- where, where do you stand on that mark at this point of the discussion
3: it 's a very difficult it 's a very difficult one. You know, forgiveness should be part of of who we are as a society. But for forgiveness to happen, people have got to pay a price, Mm. don't they? And show remorse. And show remorse, exactly. In the case of Louis C.K., six months not having a gig is not really Mm. paying the price for what he did. He did Mm. terrible things. Strangely enough, I think forgiveness, though, is on a, on a, on a, a different level. There was a certain person... Who was outed this year in the theatre world? We'll say for having terrible work practices, etc. In the theatre, and strangely enough, I know this is going to sound terrible. I watched what he went through. He lost his job. He well, he'd given up his job, etc., etc. But I did send him a message and say, I understand what you what's happened here, but I still will be your friend. And I thought that was important for me to say. Now, I, I wasn't condoning what he had done. I understood that what he had done was terrible, but personal forgiveness for me was, was, mm-hmm. was, was important. Well, maybe that's where we should bring in our other guests.
1: What Mark has done is brought in the idea, like essentially on the most basic, fundamental, individual level, uh, that we, I think all of us know, an individual who's done something uh, that they regret and are part of something. I certainly have friends in my phone who I've had to scroll through and go, Do I delete that number now? Uh, the first question of this discussion was Do you see a recognisable change in Irish men as a result of the last 12 months? And before we get to forgiveness, I suppose we should pose that to you guys.
0: A recognisable change? Uh, from my perspective, I think men have changed, they've become more cautious, they have become more likely to do something that they previously thought was unfathomable, which is when they are dating a girl, they will ask permission more at various stages. They'll say things like, is this okay? Is that okay? And if they hear the word no, they like, freak out a tiny bit you know and I can say that because I've been single for a couple of years so like I've actually seen it Mm. like happen across uh, the time
1: and that is new to the last 12 months
0: they're just more cautious like and it was interesting I was in Berlin a few months ago and I was at a club and it was like one of those kind of like just chill out dance clubs everybody was having a good time and a couple of guys at different points in the evening approached me and the way they approached me was remarkable because they were very, very like, would it be all right if I spoke with you? Is it okay if I asked you if we went to another club together? And I actually thought the whole thing was hilarious because I'm coming from like an Irish background where like at five in the morning, if a guy approaches you outside a club and very politely, it was like we were in some sort of old world novel, you know? I was like, well, good sir, I love your idea of going to the burghine right now. Um, it's a wonderful idea and I, I'm giving it some thought, however, we may prepared to the hotel for drinks. <laughs> and I loved it because we talk now about being woke. Woke is, I'm sorry, it's a bullshit term. What, re- what people are really talking about is manners. That's what we've actually forgotten. We've forgotten that it's something It's something lovely if a guy says to a woman, uh, can I help you with your jacket? Or if they say no, of, of course, that's your right. It's about old fashioned manners creeping back in. Woke is the new term. But guys always have it in them to do that. They know that, but it's just this new world. Technology is changing things. And feminism, new feminism is changing things. Because when we say, well, we want to be treated like this and not like that, then suddenly I think people throw out the baby with the bathwater, and they think a lot of things are acceptable and we've had to turn around and say no, no. Just because we don't need you to open the door all the time doesn't mean you can do other things. I mean,
1: manners essentially comes down to effort, right? And I do feel that like uh, I've always maintained that that's the difference between the good guys and the bad boys is actual conscious thought, anticipation and effort and reflection on the feelings of others. Yeah. Sinead, are you seeing that too?
2: I'd actually... I'd actually like to know from Nadine, like if you're experiencing those consent chats, which is great to hear that they're actually happening, but are they happening out of fear and cautiousness or because the mindset has changed? Like, I want to get a yes here instead, because it'll be more fun, it'll, it, it's better for the both of us, or is it, God, I need to make sure that I've all these boxes ticked before tomorrow morning and I and I feel regretful or I'm, I'm not sure what's happened overnight?
0: Well, you know, I remember reading a couple of years ago that 50 Cent, the rapper, got his women, whenever he was having sex with a woman, he got her to sign a, a consent form <laughs> beforehand. And he did that so they would not sue him later. And I could actually understand his perspective and i think actually although none of us are like famously like yeah. 50 cents i understand that a guy would need to feel very cautious now and statistically if you look at the younger generation they're not having as much sex as the older generation had because they're terrified they're terrified of being Filmed or having, you know, some like maybe like a a WhatsApp group is going to kick up. So I do think guys have been better. I definitely think so. But that's only my own anecdotal experience. I don't know what it would be like to be 18 now and going out into that world and feeling somewhat fearful. I will say we were talking about this before. I was abroad one time and started hanging out with a couple of guys at the hotel. Um, There was a group of us, and they were really nice guys, or so I thought. And then one of them just very casually said to me that he had friends who would go out with girls and they had bought GoPro cameras and they would film the girls in the bedrooms when they came back. And then they would use that little video for their own home entertainment, never saying a thing. And when I heard that, it was one of the most shocking things I think I've ever heard from a guy. And he was saying, of course I would never do that. And I was like, but you're you're in that group. They're your mates. You think that's okay. And, and there is
2: a scale. I think most, if you talk to a lot of people here, they would be horrified at that. But then you might tell them, "Oh, but would your WhatsApp group, you know, send a clip of someone you don't know? Would there be a a, a porn gift like we heard about in in the Belfast rape trial? Or you know, would you tell each other, talk to each other in the way that we heard those texts and WhatsApp?" And they might say, "Yeah." But the, the scale is they haven't realised that it's all on a scale, and you're moving up or you're moving down it. And that's I think what we're looking at now is there's a lot more consent chat and I think that's one of the best things that has happened over the last 12 months but I don't think it's quite reached everyday behaviours or how we talk to each other like I was at a... um, in an Irish town recently and so I live in Dublin and and you do kind of have that little Dublin bubble sometimes and you kind of have to recognize and acknowledge it. I was in this town it's a stag and hen town I was on a hen night and I was genuinely shocked this only about three weeks ago at how much we were all groped there was about 20 of us and we were touched and leaned against and stopped from going indoors the entire night through and it was it was actually shocking because it just hasn't happened in a long time and like my hands were put up my skirt I was leaned against in the bar like crotch against my derriere or whatever way you want to say it politely on a podcast yeah it it was quite shocking and I thought God, behaviors may not have changed that much like day to day in that sense
1: and in that way you asked the question has the mindset changed or are these guys afraid mm. I, I, I kind of think we won't ever really know has the it's hard to gauge whether mindset changed but what I do think is that fear is no bad thing because those guys weren't afraid they weren't scared of the consequences of doing those things and I often think that in a lot of relationships there needs to be a certain degree of fear I think maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy and thinking that and maybe that's more born out of watching my own parents and thinking you know my dad's afraid but then not- do you
2: get what Nadine is saying there that people are just having less sex and like that's not the outcome that you want it's you want people to be having better sex you know <laughs> but is
1: that, is like- statistically
0: people are having younger people are having less sex I'm always, uh, younger I'm people always are more dubious conservative. Of,
1: of any statistic relating to intimacy. Yeah, because but Because nobody about answers it. any questions. Yeah, but wouldn't
0: they be saying that we be ha- Wouldn't you be lying, like? Hmm? Wouldn't you say you had more sex rather than less?
1: Well, if somebody comes up to you uh, as a woman and says, do you have more or less sex? But as a man. You're going to say... But, as a, but then, but then the, there'd be a disparity in the statistics either way.
0: Well, I will say that when I read the report published in the New York Times, and actually it made complete sense to me because... If I was 18 to 24 now going out there, male or female, the potential for shame is incredible these days. One screenshot, one tweet. It doesn't even have to be a picture. It can be a tweet from a guy to your account saying you're a slut. Or vice versa, a woman can shame a guy. Hmm. Like, There's just a huge potential now. For you to feel like you know think about it why is anxiety on the rise okay why are so many anxiety is the new buzzword of our generation because people are terrified like when I was small I, I remember I started writing for newspapers at 19 and I found it really hard to put myself out there but I really loved writing and I wanted to do it but when my first pieces were published, I hid the newspaper under the bed. I, never, I would never show anyone because it was so public. But I had to get used to the idea of being in public and getting comfortable with that. But these days, there are so many people across the world who never wanted to be public, and they're being made public via their friends on Facebook putting up pictures that they hate, or their What's, somebody sending around a WhatsApp picture that's unflattering and the whole group were laughing at it. Like, have you ever looked at your WhatsApp group and felt guilty or culpable because somebody sent something really nasty in that group, but you can't leave the group. You don't know how to say, because if you say you're gonna leave, then it, it puts up, you know, Nadine has left the group, and then it looks like you're very directly saying or commenting that you don't approve of this. So you stay in the group and you become part of it, and yeah. it can be shaming, and it can be horrible. I mean. Uh-
1: Sinead, I do want to get to your coverage of the Patty Jackson trial that we discussed at the start. Is the coverage you gave of it was, has been critically acclaimed, and I, mean, I don't think I've seen articles more shared this year than the articles you wrote on it. I asked you when I first met you today, was there any blowback to it? You said no. Why do you think that, and what was the general response to those pieces?
2: Um, I think, so I think a lot of the blowback happened with people on Twitter when they were commenting... During the trial or afterwards, people who had very much made up their mind, and because it was so divisive, it, you were in one camp or another, and you were commenting on guilt or not guilt, and just to say, obviously, the four men were found not guilty of uh, of any criminal act, so what we're talking about here is the things that came out, the things yes. that became the known things, how they were talking about the woman on, on WhatsApp, um, how the apologies were given afterwards, that kind of stuff. What we ended up talking about, so say I did the second captain's podcast uh, with Richie. Sadler, what we were talking about was the the more nuance of it. So why was it divisive? Why were people getting? Why were people so interested over a nine week period? Uh, why were people so interested? And we kind of left aside the okay, they're famous rugby players. Um, And we left that aside and dissected it a bit more and I think that's why people weren't I guess angry at at my coverage or or my thinking on it because I was trying to understand why this was divisive and why people were angry and why people had so many feelings around it um, why were people angry that Rory best turned up at the trial because you were you were talking to rugby people who love rugby, and this this felt like it was personal to them and um, so I think that 's why we, we kind of got to the heart of it a bit more by looking at at that aspect of it rather than trying to make judgment on whether someone was guilty or not guilty because that 's what scared people. People were scared that someone, that those four men could get, be put up in court and be found guilty of behaviours that people recognised, both men and women. I think anyone here could recognise the scenes at that party that we heard about, you know, people sitting on each other's knees, taking selfies, bit of drink, people taking their tops off, you know, that kind of, it's the very end of a night, and then someone has sex, and... Everyone's thinking, God, did I give consent when I did that? Did I get consent when I did that? Which is probably the more scary one. Like, Did I actually do everything that I should have done in that evening or all those evenings that we, we've all had? Yeah, so I, th- I think that was it, that we weren't making judgment. I think anyone who did make judgment, that's where the blowback was. Because I felt like that that
1: that very issue, that discussion of where consent lies and how, as you brought up, consent is ongoing and sought throughout. And as you're saying, Nadine, that is happening, right? I wouldn't Mark, though, as someone who's lived in the public eye for a lot longer than us, I mean, you've you have been someone who's a well-known public figure, that, this, that part of this trial was also about fame,
3: that, like you said, you put it to one side. I also think that that, that whole... Trial went to the heart of something else, which is the relationship between men and women. I think it... And as a gay man, I have always been interested in what it is is that causes homophobia, for instance. And any time I've thought about it, I've always thought that homophobia and misogyny are actually the same thing, which is a disgust at the feminine or a hatred of the feminine or a viewing of femininity as weakness. And with that rugby culture and that lad culture, weakness is exploited and destroyed. And so when then you add in a relationship between that sort of culture with women, it becomes very difficult. And I personally do not see femininity as weakness. I like being effeminate, I like being an effeminate man and I, I feel some power in that. But I also do not, I think it's such a dangerous thing. And the idea of consent in there then asking for consent from someone, for me it seems like almost an infantilization or something like that of a a woman. Like, am I doing this? Is this okay, baby? All of that sort of stuff goes on. And and I think that consent needs to be thought about and, and, and thunk through, but I do think that there is, there's a deal of misogyny still here that we all need to think about. Um, you, you've
1: been accused of the opposite. The <laughs> article that you wrote about uh, George Hook uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was carried by Mail Voices' website as an example.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They Maybe did actually, They did. They, the, yeah, no, I think they did try to get legal on that. But fortunately, uh, the excellent Sunday Business Post lawyers uh, managed to show them that, in fact, all my arguments made in the piece were uh, completely in the realm of personal opinion and did not go, because actually I would see myself as, I mean, I think be- being a feminist means believing in equality and I think the, the big problem for guys, and I think we have to be really honest about this, is guys had an unequal amount of power previously, right? They've always had it. And so what we're sort of saying to guys all the time is we want to take some of your power as women to make us equal and we expect guys to be totally fine about that all of the time and actually the big problem is for guys to sort of say because intellectually all men know that this is actually correct you know in the sense of equality if you believe in equality There should be an equal distribution of power. But if you give me a really big lunch and then you say you're going to take away, you know, (laughs) the first course or whatever, of course you're going to get pissed off. So, like, I expect that guys will feel a sense of discomfort. I expect that it's a really uh, difficult process. It's a process that goes over generations. But the, I do think the big problem that we had was in the 1970s, feminism was coming a very long way. And then for some reason, I don't know exactly why, but it seemed to stall. And it's because of social media and it's because of the internet that we're banding together again for a new type of feminism. One that encourages women to find their voice collectively. Because if you have one woman saying one thing, she gets dismissed. You get brought into an office and told, listen, your concerns are lovely, but they're not that important. Whereas if there's like 50 women, if there's 100 women, all the women who made the complaints about the former um, gay theatre director were heard because there were nine of them in the Irish Times article. That's why they were heard. I
3: think though that men have a lot to gain from feminism as well. I think that toxic masculinity polices men it makes men unable to use their sensitivity, their voices, to to allow themselves to feel emotionally vulnerable. I think feminism can allow a man to do that, to allow the space for men to be able to talk in that way. I think that feminism can give so much and, to men,
2: and I think that collective voice that you're talking about. Actually, I just want to revise one of my answers to the questions about the blowback. I just remembered a conversation I did have with a former uh, rugby player, and it was live o- on radio. And it was one of the it was one of the things that actually angered me around the coverage of that trial, because on the one hand, people kept saying that those WhatsApp messages and all of that laddishness is just normal behaviour, but on the other hand. Of course, we respect and think of women equally. I'm like you can't; both of those things cannot be true at the same time. Um, and I had an argument I'm live on air with with the, this guy, and he was saying you know this this was they're being punished now for these messages they're not guilty so they're being punished basically for these messages getting out there and for having these thoughts and that's just normal if you go into any dressing room anywhere and I thought whoa if you're admitting that live on air our problem is much much bigger than I thought like if those messages are completely normal and you think that they're completely normal then rugby has a bigger problem and if rugby has a problem it's everywhere
1: okay well here's where i want to pick you up on that and I'm not about in case any of you are doing an intake of breath and going is Jarlath about to defend those messages and having those kind of conversations in groups but what I will say is when I look back on this and I think about my own fears as a young man growing up in Ireland my number one fear in terms of being intimate with girls at a young age and through my teens was how much girls share between themselves this sharing among girls of intimate details of sexual interaction with guys, I would argue, is way, way, way more explicit than guys are comfortable sharing with each other. I don't think I've ever had a conversation about what happened in a bedroom with a girl. No guy ever wants to hear it. They won't share, and in some ways it's a weakness that probably we should be talking more openly about it, But. The reality is that that's a side of this that I kind of feel why is why is that discussion okay why is that level of sharing okay among girls uh, when it does make many guys feel as you know kind of powerless and kind of a cornered in the same in a similar feel the exact same emotions that you're describing these WhatsApp groups producing
2: well, I'm not sure if the, if it's the exact same with the, with these particular messages. You're talking about, you know, talking about roasting a girl. You're you know, you're talking about kind of owning and doing what you want unto a person mm-hmm. in those intimate chats. And I, I can promise you, I've never had a WhatsApp chat about any sex I've ever had with Did anybody. You have girly but chat. <laughs> Don't deny
1: <laughs> you have a, had a girly chat over about drinks. About
2: intimate details. No, it wouldn't be something that I would have done. I'm, well, no. let's I'm gauge the room
1: then. Let's get a gauge on the room girls do have you at some point over drinks discussed things that have happened in the bedroom with your partners let's how a, intimate
2: uh, are we talking about here like are we saying <laughs> we we had sex last night and it was good it was bad or are you saying like we we're, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of essentially like, like
1: maybe like maybe i am like before we do the poll maybe i am caught up in what I see on TV and what I see, uh, what I understand women to have these conversations in uh, uh, Bridget Jones' diary sense of but the like, word. But talk think
3: about sex is not yeah, a bad yeah, thing. Like exactly. I think it's I totally think, fine like, to, You can yeah. talk about anything in the whole world and it doesn't necessarily have to be offensive. It becomes hmm. offensive when you have no respect sure. for yeah. the person you are talking about, okay. and it becomes a power play. You talk like, about again. So I want to yeah, be yeah, clear yeah, I'd, I'd agree yeah, on lads, what I'm saying. If
2: there's lads in a WhatsApp group saying like, "How did you get on with your one last night?" I saw like as I was leaving, you were talking to her at the bar. That's fine. Like if he says back, "Yeah, I went home with her, had a nice night, whatever." Like
0: there's a difference between but, uh, that but, I guess and I what we were okay, say... I, can I just ask, okay. Charlotte? Is are, is what you are you worried about the whole like? Size thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that is because girls. I
1: mean, I personally am not worried about it at all, right? Let's be clear on that. Right. I am worried about uh, essentially the same kind of slagging off. No, the but, girls do slag but, off guys that they've been with.
0: Well, what I mean is, can I just say, I think women do talk about men and I think they do talk about men explicitly, but as Mark was saying, it's how you talk about guys, and honestly, Um, maybe I'm living in a different world here but I've never ever had a girl ask me about uh, size uh, in that sense people aren't they don't paint people in those kind of colors
1: like you are shaking your head during this but like i'm not dreaming it but it's not like that come on girls get behind me here i'm not the only man in the world who knows that girls are going he was shit he did this he did that it looks like this who has weird balls like that i mean this shit's going on i'm not imagining this right
2: well like look at the women in the audience they're all like no like no I'm no, just saying. Really no,
0: but I will say, what, what generally, what girls have always done is from a very young age, you start from very young age and you get there and they're like, oh, so you're with the guy. And like, yeah, and like, what you do? You know, it's what did you do when you're younger? Because when you're younger, there's all like first base, okay. second base, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it, there are descriptions, but they're done with respect, yeah, I would like I, could,
3: I would love to see if you had your, your male WhatsApp group and somebody said, I scored last night, we went home and snuggled.
2: <laughs> yeah, but there's what would happen
3: to him?
1: Yeah. You know, there is an argument that in this show we should have one of my whale WhatsApp groups on the yeah. screen, and I could text out things to see what the responses are. <laughs> Seems but, like the only legitimate way. But
2: like the there was such a visceral reaction to seeing those WhatsApp messages like in court and out there is that they were so different to anything you can imagine. Like I imagine there have been men in my past who have talked to their friends about me and it may have been in a way that is not respectful or, or maybe not what I would have liked to have been said but I cannot imagine anything ever as bad as that. That girl didn't have a name in those WhatsApp messages. She didn't even have any kind of human identity. They were okay. out but to as part of someone, the fantasy, very, I different. Mean, but one of
0: the biggest and most successful parts of the poem foreign world is uh, where the the woman is basically put into positions of humiliation. Because humiliation is one of the most a powerful sexual charges that many people have for whatever reason. So, unfortunately, when you call somebody, like th- those titles, you know, calling someone a slut, calling somebody, it reduces them, it diminishes them. It's that whole, the other person is the master kind of complex. And it really taps into a fantasy okay. for a lot of people. Well, there's
3: also that thing with those those boys where they were ritualizing some strange, they, they were performing for each other. They weren't trying the, the, the woman who was there wasn't there for them. She wasn't there as a person. They were performing for each other like they do in the field. The worry for me is these boys are princes. You know, they're princes of men in this country. And they're at the top, they're right at the top. And it, I, it worked, that whole trial disturbed me massively. Well, I guess where
1: I was trying to move the conversation towards is not justifying what they did. Hmm. Those kind of discussions in groups. But it is moving the conversation that we're having towards the question of where and when we forgive. What is it that someone who is implicated in Me Too has to do in order to earn forgiveness? Or is forgiveness even available? This week, Louis C.K. goes on stage at the Comedy Cellar, gets a standing ovation, and to to many,
3: he's back. He's done his time. Well, for for, for me, there's a difference between public forgiveness and private forgiveness. The, the the example that I gave you was somebody who I see good in, and I know behaved terribly. I don't intend to 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 uh, defend what happened. I don't want to work for them again. I don't want to support that. However, on a personal level. I felt I had to say I will be your remain your friend I know that a lot of people will find that very difficult but for instance I wouldn't pay to see Louis CK I don't want to go and see XYZ playing rugby and support their career I don't want that but Sometimes it's a massive contradiction
1: obviously. it probably I, I is know, but I think
2: I, yeah. I actually I can see where you're coming from I actually don't think it's a huge contradiction between the personal and private I wrote um, about Tom Humphreys when he was sentenced um, it's just coming up to a year ago now and I was on a show with Eamon Dunphy um, the day after so he was um, sentenced for uh, uh, crimes against a, a young girl um, and he Eamon Dunphy was very worried that he had gone to see him while he was in um, Pats and he thought that this might have been taken up the wrong way and I said to him, I was like, no I understand why you would go and offer a sign of private friendship to say, look I know that I don't think that's a condoning what he did. It was very different then than two men who sent letters to the court for him. I said there's a big difference between doing those two things I think we have to be humane and compassionate and you can do that and it can be heading towards forgiveness, if not full forgiveness. But you can still be human and compassionate to people you knew and you know different facets of their personality. Um, bringing it in into the public sphere by the two men who gave letters to the court to try and get a mitigation mitigated sentence for Tom Humphreys, by bringing up how great his GA volunteerism was, whereas that's actually where he found um, his victim. And something, someone like Louis CK being able to just go back to exactly where he left off and pick it up again publicly and have the support of the entire industry—or not the entire industry—but the mechanisms of the industry that you need to get on stage again. And I do, I do see a big distinction between those two things, Mark.
1: I kind of feel like it's a, it's a line drawing situation. That it's like, Sinead... You're argument that, like, yes, you can have you can have your own personal relationship with this person and see their behaviours as different, but I, I feel like if uh, if Tom Humphrey said something worse, then you would have been like, no, Eamon, no, you can't go there. He murdered X Y Z. He was responsible for. You know, some kind like of mass were fairly at the top. Can, crime. Crime. There's just a line that you will cross. It was a
2: very odious crime, though. And I, I think you also, in that private moment, can see what what restorative justice has got taken place, Like, have they learned? Like, and I think there was a good example after the Belfast rape trial, when Stuart Olding came out with his statement, there seemed to be an understanding of what wrong was done, hmm. and he seemed to have yeah. an understanding that this woman came to the courthouse, gave her perception of the events of that evening, and he didn't contradict her events, but said that his perception was different, so he seemed and, I, and he wrote that statement himself and I don't think you could even be cynical and say he, he did that out of the out Of, like, kind of trying to save his career because I don't think you'd be able to make that statement Mm. without getting it in some way, and and that was complete polar opposite to what Patty Jackson did. So, I think if you had those two men in your sphere right now, if I if you had known them before that trial and you were trying to figure out a way, how do I keep them in my lives, even though I don't like that side of the personality that came out during the trial. If you were looking at Stuart Owen going, okay, well, he learned something. There, there seems to be a nugget of understanding of what happened. You can only figure that out if you remain in their private sphere. So I, I do understand why okay. people do it.
1: So Nadine, I want to put to you then, if we take, for example, Al Porter, who's probably... I was about
0: to say, uh, because you've been talking about Louis C.K., and to be honest, the example that's much closer to home is Al Porter, who had to give up Almost all of his work after certain allegations were made against him by a number of young men. And, you know, he quit his radio show, he uh, quit his stand up, and he did return actually to the George, I think, for a surprise night relatively recently. And that, you know, did generate a certain amount of complaints. Like, when does Al Porter get to come back? And I've thought about this, and honestly, I think it's very similar to the Stuart Olding thing. Stuart Olding kind of held up his hand a little bit and accepted that the person involved had a different interpretation of events and he to some extent accepted a kind of culpability and you could feel through his statement that he was trying to say sorry I think it's incredibly important in today's world that you accept that social media is going to follow you everywhere so you might as well hold up your hand if if you do something Al Porter didn't really hold up his hand very fast and say anything Uh, if he'd said I made mistakes, I did wrong. I think the process of having the right to be forgiven kicks in a little faster. Uh, I think there are two things going on with the internet at the moment. There's the right to be forgotten, which a lot of us want, because if something, say you do something stupid on Facebook, or there's, a, there's a, some sort of article that comes in where you're an idiot, and it's up there forever, so any future employer looks at it, and you're like, oh, for God's sakes. Or, say, you exactly said the same, the right to be forgiven. Those two rights, we have not... created a structure, yet, uh, in our minds or in our actual technology to allow people to move on from their old selves. I do believe that people should be forgiven. Uh, I believe that uh, in the circumstances where Al Porter is at, he came into a world like an absolute bowling ball and clearly made some serious mistakes. But is he a talented comedian? He is. Uh, So should he be allowed to continue if he approaches things in the right way and actually does make genuine efforts to understand why certain things are wrong there and is the inappropriate, then yes, there, I think is, he should be forgiven.
3: Isn't there a question though around the, the idea that his workplace was the place that facilitated a lot of this behavior which was not acceptable? Do you have a right to come back to your workplace? Do you?
2: Mm. I, I think that's a problem, and I would I would probably be more on your side on the workplace things. We've had a few examples, and I, I would know the sporting world a bit better than the, the comedy or, or theatre world. And you do get examples, and I'm not sure you do get forgiveness to go exactly back to your life previously. Like, you know, Tom Humphreys used the GA to find victims. Chet Evans has since been uh, his conviction was quashed, but at the time he used his fame and his footballing, and that's and that's where his his problems started. Um, in the same way, Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding, their fame was part of the the aura, like you said, that they were the princes. So going back, and I think theirs is different because they were found not guilty, but going back to the same place that allowed you to com- to commit the, the, the things that became problematic. Um, yeah, I do, I do agree that that is a problematic part of the forgiveness pro- process. But when
0: somebody is that young, like, a lot of the time when we were talking about people like, say, George Hook or Kevin Myers, like, I'm being really honest here, when I was writing articles about them, I did point out, and some people might have accused me of being ageist, but I was just trying to say when people are hitting... Past seventy, they're coming to the end of their working life, or what we think of as their working life. So, for them to re-enter the arena at the same level of success, you know, they don't need it in the same way. But if somebody is in their early twenties and they made some very, very serious errors, um, do you say that they're the next, the next few decades that they're dead to the world that they're very talented in? I mean, that seems. Do you think Um, that maybe there's an
1: issue with forgiveness in the whole country and that this country is scarred by what we were forced to believe was forgiveness and redemption and understanding? Because to me, watching from London, the Pope arriving here to the uh, claim that he did, to the crowds that he did, there's a lot of people there who have either forgiven or closed their eyes about a bunch of stuff.
0: I think a lot of people there would, would disagree with you on that because to be fair to the people who did go to see the Pope... A lot of them did say that they were putting their faith first, and that didn't mean that, that they were closing their eyes to the abuses of the church. Now, I have to say, I went to Colm McGorman's very wonderful uh, event of Stand for Truth, uh, which was held at the Garden of Remembrance, and it was an incredible day, and it was so emotional. And people, including you know, Marion Keys, Grace Dias spoke so well about what we've been through as a nation and the hurt like the hurt that so many people have been through like I had a friend when I was a teenager who was very badly abused by our local priest and wasn't believed and still lives uh, it was believed eventually but he still lives a very secluded life and I put up the stand for truth uh, thing on my Facebook page to say I was going he never likes anything on Facebook but he liked that because I knew that weekend was traumatic for him.
3: I would say my own mother is a Catholic and uh, she I, I would exemplify her faith as being something that's kind of good because I remember when John Paul II died, I was at home and she said, Jesus, he was very holy. Wrong about homosexuals, but very holy. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought she was able
2: to divide him up. She's doing Catholicism (laughs) on her.
3: (laughs) But also, she really enjoyed the Pope being around. And I knew that I mean, she loves her gay children. She she, she went and campaigned for gay marriage. She voted uh, yes to repeal. Uh, You might say she's a la carte uh, Catholic, but I think that all Irish people now are a la carte Catholics I think they have been having to deal with their faith is important to them but the institution stinks and they know it
2: but I think the, there's good analogy with the institution so we heard the Pope begging for forgiveness is what they they called it so he's pleading for forgiveness for everything that happened um, here but we didn't really hear him say sorry so like you skipped a step there Francis mate like you know and I think that's the same with when you're talking about Louis CK or any of these things okay well where did we see the sorry part like mm. or where did we see the action to fix the problem like you still owe billions to the people who were abused and the people who were brought in f- to like do your work as slave labour like so unless we see the sorry and the action like how can the forgiveness come and that's why I brought up the Stuart Olding thing because I think we saw the sorry we saw the little bit of action and, and so you can point, move though? towards forgiveness not full forgiveness we can move towards it
0: you might know better on this but my understanding when I saw the Stuart Olding statement I I thought how amazing he's sort of admitting a bit of culpability there and then Paddy Jackson obviously didn't and I was told that Paddy Jackson had the more expensive lawyers and the lawyers who were like bulletproof and were going to get this guy off no matter what happened and Stuart Olding was the person who was just making his own way and it was interesting to note that the person with the kind of he, cut price he, lawyers he, if you he like was more honest the end. Yeah. but hmm. do,
3: surely your instinct would kick in and say do the decent
2: thing do the well there was a lot of worrying about contracts and, and playing for Ireland again and if, if you want to play for Ireland again it, that your whole record has to be squeaky clean so you know he he just took the wrong approach he thought if I go like bull at this and make sure that everyone knows that I'm an innocent man I didn't do anything wrong they read the room wrong they read the entire country wrong and they really shouldn't have because we were in the middle of the six nations and there was signs saying I believe her in rugby stadiums there was Uproar about Rory Best going to support him. So, yeah, I think that's the the lawyers read the room wrong and, and he read the room wrong.
0: But I think that it's a sign of maybe human decency emerging, but also there was just, like you're saying, there's a great understanding that social media can carry a message extremely far. So, when somebody holds up their hand, it's not just print media or TVs giving you that message, it goes to an entire generation and younger bunch of people potentially. That get to get that message and understand it in a very direct way. Uh, so I think it is. It's just it, it's it's so important that we acknowledge that we're living in a new reality. You say something, and if that message is important, it can reach millions.
3: I think there's one other thing that needs to be looked at, which is that I think there's a statistic out there that 80% of crime is committed by young men between the ages of 16 and 24. I don't know whether that's exact, but it's something like that. That's kind of frightening when you sit down and think about it. Like, what's what's happening to Well, I think it goes back to
2: like, what Nadine was saying earlier. Like, it is scary, and I do appreciate and understand that when young... So, people who are young men now, or, say, middle-aged men, when they were growing up, they thought this was the world that they were entering. So, this is how hard it will be to get a job or to make it. And then, okay, all these... Other people who didn't have these opportunities they are now in this space as well. So it's like, say, for our example, it, it's now harder for a man to get a column in a newspaper because there are more people vying for that same column. It's harder to be a male presenter now because they used to care if there was women presenters, but now they have to make sure. And some of us can take advantage of that. And you have to be honest and say, "Yeah, like I am getting some jobs that I wouldn't have got ten years ago because now they care about the optics of having two men." It's not. I'm not saying that I'm not worthy of those jobs. I think I am. Um, but and even now, like I had a pause there. I'm like, "Oh, does that sound really consistent? See that I said that, so you still have that thing that you know men don't have, but I think that is I can understand why that can this, create this, anger and problems because it's a much harder
0: the world argument to enter.
3: To be made that you know talent is mixed between the the, the sexes very equally. And if you have a disproportionate amount of one sex getting all the work, you're just getting shit people. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> so I just s- think opening it up is going to make everything a little bit better. Yeah, I was um, sitting
1: side a stage at the Leeds Festival last weekend, looking at the lineup of acts that were due to go on the comedy stage. Uh, two of them were women. And the act that was standing next to me said there's funnier men that could have filled those spots. And he would be what you would, I would have considered a woke guy.
2: I would consider and him a pick.
1: Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I say to him, how else are we going to get more women in comedy? I, I, and he, he, you know, like he looked at me as if to say, I mean, oh, you're one of them. Yeah. And there is a sense that I feel like the change that we're witnessing in Ireland is more guys being willing to face down someone looking at them and say, oh, you're one of them. Yeah. And we're replying yeah. in, a, in, a, in a WhatsApp group going, look at this guy and the more of those dudes that we can kind of bring up from an early age the better chance we have of redressing any sort of balance. Isn't there
3: also the fact that we've got to go deeper than that That it's it's not just about tackling that it's the one woke guy who's causing us all the problems it's not it's something more fundamental because it's within women and it's within men it's the idea of feminism being our femininity being a weakness that, that the female sex is the weaker sex, that they don't have a right to stand up in public and raise their voice, or they don't have a right to be funny, whereas a lad is always fucking brilliant, whereas a girl who's funny is kind of... She's really ballsy, like... Yeah, she's
2: got balls that Yeah, she's got
3: balls that one... Yeah, yeah. Balls that one amazing, yeah. you're up there. That kind of thing. And But that goes deep in people. Like yeah. That goes into your bones. That is in people's bones, and that needs to be stopped. And I think part of it is allowing boys to be sensitive and say that it's part of their makeup and women are allowed to be ball if they like.
2: I think we had a really positive uh, example recently of where you c- where the whole country can be a bit more gender-blind so um, I, I keep banging on about sport, I'm sorry, I know not like at all. it's not but the hockey team like getting to the final getting people involved, getting the whole country into hockey. So nobody has any clue basically about what is good hockey or what is bad hockey like unless you're a hockey player here you might be in the minority but so we were watching hockey for the first time as a nation and no one was comparing it to men's hockey no one was going oh but these girls aren't as good because they can't do the thing and the thing like (laughs) we didn't have the words we don't know about it so we were just watching sport it did not matter if they were men or Mm -hmm. women because we were not comparing one to the other and if we just do that more often and do not compare how one funny is different to another funny in a comedy stage because it really doesn't matter what gender is up there and I think that was an amazing example of the whole nation being gender blind because we have no clue about hockey and we enjoyed it anyway yeah, it's, I, it, I it, think it's, it's a
1: beautiful, difficult. beautiful sentiment uh, we've kind of run out of time uh, but this has been amazing guys, this is, you've been watching Men Behaving Better which is available to download on iTunes well thank you so much Mark O'Halloran, Nadine O'Regan, Sinead O'Carroll it's been an absolute pleasure let's give them Thanks, a hand, everyone. thank you so much Massive thanks to my guests, Nadine O'Regan, Sinead Carroll, and Marco Halloran three incredible individuals speaking with such clarity on a subject that we aren't talking about enough. With as much talk as is happening on the area, I don't think these discussions are happening anywhere else. Please spread the word, rate, comment and subscribe to us on iTunes. This is the early days of this, our new venture for Irishman Abroad podcasts. That is, of course, uh, if you would like to support us, if you'd like to get behind this, go to it is our new project, a spin-off series from our original Irishman Abroad series. If you uh, want to head over there, you can find interviews on this subject as well with uh, Laura Whitmore, uh, Bridget Christie, Sharon Horgan, Lisa Hannigan and many, many more it uh, is something I thoroughly recommend you do. But for now, special thanks to my guests, to Nisha Nunn and Maria Schwepp for facilitating this uh, discussion and podcast recording at Electric Picnic. Thanks to everyone who organized Electric Picnic for having us. It was such a great weekend. And uh, to Brian Connolly for producing, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible, and to Kyle Cotter for his extra research on each of the guests this week. We'll be back next week with our live episode at the Other Palace Theatre September 20th If this episode Affected you If you want to get in On the conversation Either email me At irishmanabroadpodcast At gmail.com Or come to the show At the Other Palace Theatre Next Thursday September 20th With Deborah Francis White Angela Scanlon And Finn Taylor Get yourself your discount Enter the offer code IRISHMAN All caps At checkout and you'll get a handy little discount. I'll see you next Thursday at the Other Palace, guys. Thanks again for listening. Please spread the word.